The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narconon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Joni. Here we are cooking away in the middle of summer. Exactly. It's hot outside. Oh, my goodness. It is so hot. It's... Is there... Okay, this is a weird question. Is there... Is there a reason why the temperature happening outside would increase someone's um, craving or interest in drugs one yeah, way or the other? Actually, that's kind of interesting because the answer is yes. Um, when a person's hot and they're sweating and they're exerting a lot of physical energy, you're going to burn fat. A little bit more for energy. And it could create the cravings, which is why you do the sauna detox program. Right. So a lot of people that are outside and they're active, um, either they have active jobs or um, they play any sports actively or do any kind of physical activity more outside than they would in the wintertime. They're going to obviously burn more fat for energy. And in doing so, if you're a drug user, you're going to re-release those drug residues when the fat's burned, cause cravings. And so believe it or not, we actually get a spike of people reaching in for help during the summertime. Um, there's this kind of like, sometimes at the be- the very beginnings of summer, people are like, yeah, party time, let's go to the beach and drink and have bonfires and do pills. Um, that's not very social drug to me, but anyway. Right. Um, and then as the summer goes on, things get a little bit sketchier for them. Um, some people actually further their addictions to a point where they need to do something. Um, right. And usually about this time of year is when that starts happening. And um, so anyone that's listening, if you're struggling right now, Call, come in, start the uh, the f- the fall with a brand new you and a whole new year for yourself. Exactly. So that's a very, very good point. And it was one of those things where I asked you the question. And then as you started talking, I went, yeah, I, I, I know that. <laughs> but that's one of the key differences with an Arcanon program is the new life sauna detox. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly the manifestation. It is why people used to take LSD, and then years later, after having not taken LSD, they would have horrific flashbacks, and it's just because it lodges in the fatty tissues of the body, and then when you get all, try and get all healthy, and you exercise, it can break down, and there you go. You get the flashback. Yep, and through the sauna detox, we can actually get rid of that. So today, I wanted to talk about something very interesting based on an experience I had this week. Well, yeah, you were telling Steve, and I was overhearing a little bit of it about it. So I'd like to hear about this family that you've been working with for the last couple of days. So there's something in my head that I'll call the 12-step cycle. Um, it's a cycle of going from 12-step rehab to 12-step rehab to 12-step rehab to 12-step rehab. Um, and each time, it's unsuccessful. It doesn't work. And a family who gets, you know, built up with hope and, you know, aspirations of the future. And, you know, when their kid goes into treatment, they can sleep at night. And um, as the kid goes through treatment and they're off drugs, they start kind of coming alive a little bit and being a little bit more positive. And they are really, they seem strong and hopeful for the future and all this stuff. And as soon as they come out, the family is really excited. They're going to go into a halfway house. They're going to get a job and they're going to move forward. Um, And within a certain amount of time, they fall flat on their face. And then the family's left to pick up the pieces yet again. Um, And so a lot of times what they'll do is they'll either put them back into the same center they just failed from or call a different center that might have a little different spin on 12-step, whether it be um, meditation, yoga, wilderness (laughs) stuff. Uh, I've heard of equine therapy, which is working with horses. I mean, that's all well and good, but I don't think it, it handles addiction. And so the family gets them to another center. 
And it's the same cycle again. And I speak from experiences that happened to me. You come off drugs, you get on whatever medication they put you on, you feel kind of okay for the, for the most part. I mean, comparatively to where you were when you were shooting heroin and crack and whatever else. <laughs> Um, you, you get clear-headed to a point where you feel a bit better. You get a little bit of hope for the future. The family is like, maybe they're going to get it this time. And then they you know, get discharged, go to the halfway house. And within a certain period of time, they fall flat on their face. And then the family is sitting there once again thinking, what do we do? Um, and what happens to the families, and it happened to my family, and it happened to this family I was working with uh, earlier today, is that they get a failed purpose behind helping their kid because right. it seems like no matter what they do, nothing's working. And right. each time they go into treatment, they come out and they're not okay. The family will, can feel as though they failed to help them again, again, again. and again, and again, yeah. and again. And it's really frequent. You know, I'll talk to families that are like, you know, we don't know what to do. Our son or daughter has been in 12 step treatment nine times, or I've heard 15 times. Wow. Uh, the one I was talking, uh, the family I was working with today, Said that she's been the their daughter had been through it eight times. Uh, wow! And I can't imagine what a family would feel like after you've given time, energy, hope, money, whatever else into eight treatment centers that didn't work. And my question is this: After you get to like the fourth twelve step treatment center in a row, when do you get the idea or the spark in your mind that says maybe this? type of treatment isn't going to work maybe there's an alternative but then you continue it four five six seven eight more times in attempts to fi- to fix their loved one now one definition of insanity which comes from 12 step that i i do like this definition isn't it einstein doesn't come from einstein uh, i i might have doing, doing, the same this, thing doing the same thing again and expecting a different result that's einstein I, for some reason, I thought that was his quote. Now, now I'm going to have to Google it and find out whose quote it was. What would we do but the point Google? is when you do the same thing over and over again and you expect a different result, right. it's, in, it's insane. It's it, is, it is insane. Um, and, you know, working with this family today, they said, you know, we had no – and they, came, they actually came to the Narconon Center. Uh, I had been talking to them um, for a couple of days previous, and they reached out. We're looking for help and blah, blah, blah. And so – but let me stop you for a second. Didn't you say isn't didn't you say you'd had contact with them like a year ago? Yeah. So yeah. let's go back to the beginning. <laughs> so a year ago, they reached out and for whatever reason they decided not to do go with Narcanon. Okay. I, I don't really remember specifically. I know I'm the one that spoke to them because in the little system we have in the the call notes it said that I the one I was the one that spoke to them. Uh, for whatever reason it didn't go. Um what I can't comment on it one way or another. Recently, uh, the daughter reached back in and said, I desperately need help. I, like, I don't know what else to do. Um, I don't want to get high anymore. Uh, I was back on the Narcodon website. It looks great. Um, and so what do we have to do? So I you know, just spent some time with her. I spent some time with the family. And the family, I mean, and I, I can't make them wrong for this. Rightly so. They were like, we don't, we're not going to pay for another treatment center. This girl has gone through multiple 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 treatment centers and we're at the we're of the mind that treatment is a scam it doesn't work um it's pointless she's never gonna get it right and and the dad actually said in my head i've already buried her oh oh that is so sad Mm. i mean that's just oh for a father to have to go there i mean that's just that's super sad it's yeah it's hard it's hard to hear that yeah um because that's real. 
Yeah. And that's pretty visceral. Yeah. That's really real. And especially when you, when you have a treatment program that you know actually does work. Right. And that's my reality. Yeah. And that's your reality. But to yeah. any family out there that have a loved one that's failed over and over and over and over and over again, it's not hard to, I, to fathom that they would come to the conclusion that treatment doesn't work. I would feel that way if I didn't know about Narconon and I didn't understand what the differences were. Mm-hmm. And I had a, you know, a family member or a loved one who, you know, had gone through eight different rehabs. I would come to the point where there is no solution. I came to that solution about myself. I went through six 12-step rehabs. Yeah. And I got to the point where I'm like, this is not going to work. I'm not meant to get clean. Right. Uh, my destiny is probably to die a drug addict. Right. Um, and so a lot of my working with this family was to, I guess, enlighten them to the possibility of trying something completely different than what she had done in the past has the possibility of working. I said, look, my parents were at the same spot you were in. My parents were done with me, like done, done. They were like, we are not paying for any more treatment. Obviously, you don't want to kind of make it go right to stay sober. So why are we going to let you just hide out in a drug rehab until you dust yourself off and just to go out and do the same thing again? Right. That was their reality and what I was going through. Of course, right. I had a different one <laughs> because I was just so mentally messed up from years of drug use. Yeah. Um, not to mention some psychiatric drugs I was on and the fact they dealt with really terrible cravings that wouldn't go away. Um, and they, they gave me one last shot. And if you think about it, my parents took an enormous leap of faith. Yeah, because I was holed up in a crack house begging for help yet again. And they got in communication with some woman that had a website that knew a program and they described the program. And my parents called me and said, this is your last shot. If this doesn't work, don't call us. And they sent you all the way across the country California, to a rehab, pretty much sight unseen. Mm-hmm. Like they might have done, you know, they spoke to someone fine. But pretty much sight unseen. Mm-hmm. That's a leap of faith. Yeah. If you think about it, it's a huge leap of faith because yep. six times and it doesn't work and you're being talked to about a different program for the seventh program and you have to trust it enough to take a leap of faith that one of two things is going to happen. Either we're, we're not going to take the leap of faith um, and there's a possibility that I would die right. and not get sober. Right. Or and never know if that program would have worked. Right. Or you take the leap of faith, try the program, see what happens. Best case scenario, here I am all this time later. Yep. And so I was explaining that to this family and um, they were pretty just distraught. And of course they went through the whole thing that every family goes through when it comes to addiction. I mean, they're telling me stories um, from everything from the girl actually will get herself admitted to a psych ward on purpose is a way of just finding a place that'll detox her and get her off the street. Um, she's bounced, you know, all over the place from couch to house to bed to room to whatever, um, doing things that are completely unimaginable um, to get her next hit, to get her next fix. And the family said, you know, we really just want her to sit down and say, Mom and Dad, I really need help. This is what I want to do. And this is where I want to go. Uh, and I have it all planned out and blah, 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 blah. And I said, whoa, okay, hold like, on a second. That's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. Uh, I, I need everyone to- You don't to... exactly think straight when you're an addict. No. And you don't want to get rid of the drugs, truthfully. Most of the time, not. Yeah. Uh, no addict is going to make that logical of a choice. Mm-mm. Everything they do is completely illogical. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, hawking their mom's jewelry for 30 bucks 
to get one bag of heroin or two or three bags of heroin is not logical. Right. Selling your body to a complete stranger to get money for drugs is not logical. Nope. Um, I did lots of illogical <laughs> things. I got put on probation, hid from my probation officer for three days and did meth until I felt ready to go check in and start my probation because apparently it was up to me. That's nuts. <laughs> that's mental. That's absolutely, Adam, that's, it's nuts. It's nuts. Right. Um, and so I said, she's never going to do that. Right. And they said, well, she really wants it, won't she? No, she's not capable of that. I said, I made a really good analogy, which I thought, I thought it was good. I said, you have to imagine it like this. It's like your daughter was driving a car, but then the drugs took over. The drugs started driving and tied her up and put her in the trunk. She's just along for the ride. She doesn't have any say in this anymore. Right. And that's actually very true. That's how I felt. Yeah. It's like you weren't driving the car anymore. You're tied up in the trunk and the drugs took you wherever the drugs were going to take you. Yeah. You just had to go along for the ride because that's how much control you give up to a drug. Right. Once you get addicted, that's the control factor that you no longer have because it's true. You are just along for the ride and everything you're going to do is to keep gas in that car. Yep. That's it. I mean- that I, that's it. No acts. You make that kind of logical decision. So I had to kind of like break it down for these people. Like she is not going to do that. Right. Ever. And it's who, lo- too logical. And she is making constant logical decisions. And who? let me just stop you for a second too. So who are you talking to? You were talking to just her mom and dad? Mom and dad. Or a brother or a sister? No, mom and just, dad. Just the mom just and dad. Just mom okay. and dad. And what was mom's, would, did they have the same viewpoint or? They both. Because I know with your parents, like there was slightly different. Like your mom was enabling right. you and your dad was like, don't enable him. He's a drug addict. So were they kind of similar to that? It was, or it was yeah, it was a bit similar. I mean, dad was definitely a lot more done with everything than mom was. But mom had just equal amount of just upset and stress over the situation. Okay. And you have to think about it. How would you feel as a parent if you constantly failed to help your child and not doing it on purpose, just doing different programs and things that you think are going to work and right. they sound great and then right. they don't over and over and over again. And so here's me saying, hey, there's a completely different solution to all this. Of course, you're going to be skeptical. Exactly. Of course, you're going to, I just told them the opposite of what every 12-step treatment center told them. I told right. them, your your daughter's not diseased. She's not mentally ill. We're not going to give her drugs to get her off drugs. She's going to be fine. She's developed a set pattern of behavior as far as drug use in order to solve a problem, we actually need to deal with those actual problems rather than just tell her she's screwed for the rest of her life. And they right. just were like, are you kidding? I was right. like, no, I'm, I'm being completely real. Yep. Um, and so I talked to them for a while. And basically what happened is in the interim, the girl decided she didn't want treatment anymore. Okay. In the waiting process. So something people have to understand is that once an addict is willing to get help, you have a very small window of time to get them in treatment until that window shuts. Right. And that window will shut usually quicker than it opened. Right. Um, so in the interim, she said, you know what? I, 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 I'm not, I'm not even going to deal with this. The girl they totally checked out, disappeared. Um, showed back up on the radar. Um, and how and hard that would be for parents not have any idea where your kids are. No idea where they I have are. a friend whose son was a drug addict and I remember he just, he went away. She had no idea where he was. He mm-hmm. just completely cut all ties with her. He left the state. Mm-hmm. He went somewhere out West she had no idea what was going on with him. Yes, imagine knowing your kids out there shooting heroin. You don't know where they are. They don't have a phone. You have no way to contact them other than some of their acquaintances wherever they might pop up. Right. So um, they called me and said, look, she's disappeared. We don't know where she is. Uh, what can we do? So I have uh, my set of super spies in my office. 
I and, and how long ago was this that they this called you? Yesterday, this is yesterday. yesterday. Okay, so they call you yesterday and they said they don't know where she is. We don't know where she is. I said, let me see what I can do. I have a girl in my office, Katie, um, who's very, very good at tracking people down. So okay. she, we got on from her Facebook to this page to that page and to Google, and we found some random address, you know, somewhere like an hour away. Okay. Um, and I called the mom and I said, hey, do you know what this address is? She kind of explained to me it was like a while ago and blah, blah, blah. Um, she probably wouldn't be there, um, but, we, but we'd see. Um, and so we end the phone call. A couple hours go by and they call me and they say, weird. She was at that address. We actually helped track this girl down. Um, and it was just, uh, it was a complete mess. Um, and uh, the girl was like, yeah, I'm not willing. I don't tell you, blah, blah, blah. So I spent a lot of time with the family on the phone last night. And uh, I said, look, this is what happens if you wait to get someone in treatment once they're willing. What and, was the place where she was? Was it just like, a, just like a house of other addicts? Was it a friend's house? It was like an old apartment she had had with a boyfriend, I guess. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, and she, she just so happened to be there. I, it was very weird how that transpired. I guess someone she knows still lives there. Mm-hmm. So she went back to a place that she already knows. And it was just very odd that we found this like completely random address. And she just so happened to be there. Go Katie. So yeah, go Katie. <laughs> and it's really creepy that you can find that much information on people. Oh yeah. Online. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time with the parents last night and I said, look, this is unfortunate. Unfortunately, what happens when you wait to get someone in? And I said, look, I understand all your considerations on trying another treatment center. I get it. You've paid a ton of money trying to get her well, doing other modalities and other methods, you know, that are available. Um, unfortunately, it's not as obviously not enough for her, right? And she needs more comprehensive care. She needs to deal with this a different way. Um, right. And in the time that we got that we spent on the phone, uh, the girl ended up checking herself into a psychiatric hospital because now she decided she wanted help, but she didn't know what to do. So that's that was her method of figuring that out. Strangely enough, that's a very routine thing that addicts will do if they don't know where to go, what to do. Um, they'll feign you know, being suicidal or something just to get held psychiatrically in a hospital. At least someone will be there to like, help them care for them, get them through detox or whatever. So right. we kind of left it there last night. But don't night. they just put them on more drugs? Oh, they will. Yeah. Yeah, okay. they will. Not a good idea, listeners, to take yourself to a mental hospital Mm-mm. just because you want to get clean. That doesn't really work, but okay. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Exactly. And, you know, at least it got her off the street. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> This morning, I called them to check in, um, see how things were going. They're like, well, we're like basically out in your area. We're going to come by and see you and see the facility and kind of go from there. And so they came in. I spent a lot of time with them, and they decided they're going to give this girl one last shot. They're going to give her one more opportunity to get well, not because of anything else other than they believed in the program that I told them we could deliver to her daughter. Got it. And – uh so now we're in the process of getting this girl released from the psych hospital um, into our care, and uh, we're going to save another life. There you go. That's a good story. That's a good ending. It's a, it's a great story. Because this family took a leap of faith, yeah. just like my family did, because I, and I told them, like, you have two options. You can either not do this and never know if it would have worked, right. or you could do it and get your daughter back. All right. So. And it's sad, because when, when I hear stories about, you know, addicts who, you know, passed away, like Sandy Winnefeld's son, uh-huh. you know, who overdosed, it's kind of like... 
I go, wow, you know, if we'd gotten this guy into Narconon, would it have saved his life? And it's something we'll never, ever know. But I don't want to take that chance with anybody else. Do you know? That's why we do this podcast, because I want the people who are listening to take that leap of faith Mm -hmm. and to get their loved one into treatment, and more specifically at Narconon. I know we say do something, like don't do nothing, you know, get them into some sort of treatment. But really, honestly, this this treatment just has a higher success rate than any other treatment out there. And when you look at the number of times that people go through a 12-step program and, you know, revert as they walk out the door, it, we're not, I'm not trying to diss 12-step. I'm just saying, look at the stats, look at the metrics, look at, look at the results. You know, there's a very, very small percentage of people who can A, either go through a 12-step and get clean and sober and stay that way, mm-hmm. and there's an even smaller percentage who really can do it on their own. And, I, and I've and i met a couple of those people, so I know it's a possibility, but the the larger percentage of people out there, you know, they need the help and they need the type of program. See, to me, one of the things that's different about Narconon is it's like it's a very standardized program that works when applied properly Mm -hmm. and it's a set it's a set steps it's set steps it's a set series it's uh everything is done in an exact order in an exact way Mm -hmm. um it it's some to some degree scientific the way the program is set up and so it's not while you know, faith is a very strong thing and faith can definitely produce miracles. There's no question about that. But then if a faith-based program doesn't work for someone, does that mean that they're a bad person? And my answer to that would be, of course it doesn't, Mm-mm. you know? So you have a you have a scientifically based and a results-based program in Narconon. And mm-hmm. anybody listening, you know, that there you go. Did I bring up last week, I can't remember if I did, about the artist that dropped the giant heroin spoon in front of Purdue Pharma? I th- I think we've talked about it either last week or the week before. I and thought that was yeah, outrageous. It is an out- it's an outrageous thing, and it, it's, you know, it's a statement like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and l- we can tell the story. Again, it was an artist, and he created, like, what, a 10-foot-long bent? 10-foot-long, like, bent, burnt Bent, burnt, like heroin, <laughs> you know, boiling spoon. And, and dropped it right in front of Purdue Pharma right- as a way of, like kind of like peacefully protesting against what's happened but that made me think of something yeah what would have happened or where would our world have ended up if oxycontin never existed just think about i i have thought i sat and thought about this as like a daydream for a while what do you think our society would have been like would we have had an opiate crisis would have it been a different drug that we had a crisis with i think i think Unfortunately, I think that there could still be an addiction crisis, but I don't think it would be of the scale it is today. Maybe not. You know, I mean, like we might not be doing this podcast Mm -hmm. because one of the reasons, you know, Steve and I chose to meet with you and and start this was because of the opioid crisis Mm -hmm. and because it was a big deal. Um, I, 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 I think, unfortunately, you know, drug addiction has been around and substance abuse has been around for hundreds of years now mm-hmm. and it's always you know there's always going to be a mentality that wants a quick fix whether it's a drink whether it's a pill whether it's a snort whatever it is i think that that's always going to be the case but would it be of this magnitude i tend to think not yeah and it's those quick fixes that addiction is bred from so a lot of people 
want to know what's the quick fix to addiction. Right. I always tell them there's no quick fix. And anything that tells you it's a quick fix to addiction, you should be very, very wary of. Mm -hmm. Because anything that, you know, says it's a silver bullet, magic potion, magic injection, whatever, it more than likely isn't going to work. Because here's the thing. If it sounds too good to be true, and that always, would to me, that sounds way too good to be true, that uh, I have a full-blown addiction. All I need is the, this magic pill or this magic you know, drink or this magic supplement or whatever. It is too good to be true. Because the thing is, addiction is such a deep-rooted thing. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of time, energy, and dedication and work to unravel the whole thing. That's right. You know, That's the way we got onto Suboxone. That's how we got with Methadone. That's what we're doing with Vivitrol. Um, that's what we're doing with Kratom. That's what we're doing with CBD oil. We're we're looking for all these quick fixes to our problems. And But people have to realize that's what breeds addiction. That's where addiction comes from. When you first okay. try drugs, it is a quick fix to your problems. Uh, you don't realize it at the time, but that's essentially what happens. You do a drug and you say, whoa, I just did this joint or this line or this pill or this shot or whatever and now all my problems went away that's a quick fix right you didn't do any work to get there right you didn't sit there and you know handle your demons and figure out your problems and you know you know kind of do some self-analysis you uh you took you made it you took a drug and it became a quick fix to your problems and people still want the same thing with handling their addiction that's right i just want a quick fix to get rid of it well that's right. unfortunately i'm gonna break it to all of you right now there are none doesn't exist and if it does you should be very weary of it and probably run away from it because it, it's probably going to cause you another problem it's exactly right because because one of the things that i have heard from the graduates from narconon is that it is work it's not easy to go through the narconon program mm-hmm. but there's so much help there and there's so much support there every step of the way you can absolutely get through it because it happens every single day that somebody gets a little bit cleaner and a little bit further along that step. And, you know, it, but if you're listening and you think it's going to be a walk in the park, no, not so much, but you haven't been walking through the park. If that makes any sense. That makes sense. Um, Treatment shouldn't be easy. I coasted through tons of treatment centers because I could. I had enough education and knowledge to tell therapists what they want to hear so they don't actually make me talk about my inner demons. Right. Um, That's a very hard thing to confront and deal with. And of course, I wasn't going to do it in group therapy in a room full of 60 people. I was like, sorry, not happening. (laughs) Um, But part of getting clean is not looking for those quick fixes or those magic cures or silver bullets. Um, And right now where we have is like a sea of those. Right. I mean, I've looked up online just out of curiosity. There are multiple supplement companies that offer, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like regiments of supplements that are going to help you with addiction. Magic pills, magic supplements, magic like overnight things you know we can inject you and you're 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 drug free mm, not so much you know those yeah the- <laughs> my favorite was a detox drink just drink this and we'll detoxify and cleanse your body <laughs> um well, people don't realize that it actually puts a chemical inside your body that actually will make you be able to pass a drug test falsely but now since those came out they make drug tests that can actually test for that chemical that those detox drinks put in your system it's nuts out there yeah it's absolutely crazy i mean yep. i feel for families when they're looking for a solution for their loved one that's uh it's struggling with addiction there's so much stuff out there i mean i'll do research every now and then to see kind of like what the 
what it looks like as far as people's treatment options. And there's more now than ever before. I mean, you've got everything from faith-based to new agey to 12-step psychiatric, holistic, naturopathic, you, like all sorts. Like, I, there's and do you know why? There. Because there's money in it. Because there's money in it. And nine times out of 10, they figure out how to get, how to get insurance to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And so pretty much they'll only last about 28 or 30 days because that's all insurance will pay for. But there's money in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, unfortunate, it's unfortunate that you know an industry can get um, exploited like that. I mean, I just saw on my personal Facebook account a guy I knew when I was in 12-step in Southeast Florida that's now being accused of patient brokering um, and giving people drugs in his halfway house, and he's not a doctor, um, and exploiting people's insurance policies. And for some reason, I don't know how it ended up like on a Facebook post, but it's like this guy posted something and it went wild. I mean, I'm talking about there like wow. 40, 50 comments and all and all there were were people saying they, that this guy needed to be taken down, that he had been exploiting people's insurance policies. They had been paying people uh, to use drugs to go back into treatment, which would take them through detox, inpatient, outpatient, um, and a halfway house and pay for all the, the urinalysis drug, drug screening. Where is he located? I think he's in Southeast Florida somewhere. Gotta let Dave know. Gotta I, let Dave Ehrenberg yeah. know. I just, I actually just thought about that. I yeah. saw that uh, not last night, but the night before. Uh, and this guy's gonna be in big, big, big trouble, and he should be. That's terrible. And this is a guy that I knew that I had once asked to sponsor me in two thousand four, two thousand five. Okay. Um, and it was real rough to see that, like a person I know. Person, I mean, you can read about this stuff in the newspapers and right. stuff, and say, "Oh my God, what's going on in Southeast Florida is absolutely terrible with the the shady." Um, the shadiness of everything that's happening with the halfway houses, the and, rogue rehabs, oh, yeah. and, that, and the sober houses, and, and the fact sober. that there's these quote unquote body brokers out there, which is kind of a disgusting term to put to it. It kind of is it objectifies people, but as someone I know is now mixed up in that. Yeah. Um, well, and, one of the things that uh, Dave was saying is the law has changed now, and he can shut him down. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we need I, to let him know. I don't know. I think anything that makes money at the expense of a person's life is awful so here's the thing there are some of us out there that truly care to help that's right um you know this family that i was working with uh today said you know why do you do this like oh. uh, i was like okay <laughs> you really want to know he said the dad the, da- the dad like looked me dead in the eye and says why do you do this um why i said honestly because of what we're doing right here between me you and your wife in fact you're in a crisis and i can help you with a solution that I know has a, the capability of working. And I said, you know, people were there for me and my family. And so I'm going to be there for other people's family. I said, I don't work 12 hours a day, seven days a week because I've nothing better to do. I do it because it's a purpose line for me. It's something that I can do to give back to the community that I completely wronged for so long. Cause I was like complete menace to society at one point. Right. I was a danger on the roads when I was driving. I was a danger to, um, you know, your, average daily citizen with the amount of drugs I carried around on me. Um, I, you know, I, I was just a liability in general right. and what better way for me to kind of balance the karmic scales I thought than to give back. And so a lot of years have gone by because it's something I actually enjoy doing because, you know, 
knowing that I can make that big of a difference in someone's life is huge. Absolutely. I don't know any other way I could positively impact someone else than by giving them a solution to the biggest problem that they are dealing with. And I'm telling you, when you have a kid that is missing, that is shooting heroin is the biggest problem you'll ever have hands down. It doesn't get bad. It doesn't get worse than that. That's right. Um, That's exactly right. And that's why I do what I do. And, you know, I've been asked that before, you Mm -hmm. know, Jason, you've got like, college degrees you got all this and experience blah blah blah. why are you just like working rehab because i love it yeah honestly i enjoy doing it uh it has become a life's purpose for me it's become more of a spiritual thing than anything else because it's like this is what helps me help the world if i want to affect a change what better way to do it uh and that's why i do this that's why i do this podcast that's why i'm so like passionate about all the topics we talk about and the things that we discuss and the interviews that we do um and you know what? I'm not the highest paid person in the world, but I don't care. I don't, I didn't go no. into this with um, an idea that I'm going to make a zillion dollars and have this lavish lifestyle, um, you know, helping yep. other people. I went into this because I want to help other people. I'm not a really materialistic person in yep. nature. Um, I have a very nice lifestyle. However, I get to help people on a daily basis. It doesn't get better than that. And that's why I'm passionate about everything that we do. Because if anyone wants to know what you can do to affect a change in the opioid crisis, get involved. Yep. It's true. Don't just sit back and say, oh my God, this headline is terrible. There's a thousand people died in this county last night from a fentanyl overdose. And oh my God, my neighbor's kid, um, you know, stole my lawnmower and pawned it. And now there's that problem. Don't sit back and just be like a a casual observer to the opioid epidemic. You can't. if If it disgusts you and bothers you, and impact your life enough to where you want to do something to help get involved, whether well, it be in your local community, yep. whether it be supporting local rehab centers, whether it be getting involved with nonprofits that um, do drug education or rehabilitation, whatever it is, get involved. Like, don't just sit there and say, oh my God, this is terrible, but what am I going to do? You can step up and get involved and do something. Right. I want to encourage everybody to do that. Because the bottom line is, no matter who you are, whether you have a loved one or not, this crisis, this addiction crisis in our country affects you. Mm -hmm. I guarantee it. It affects me. I'm out there on the roads driving around. Mm -hmm. I don't know who's out there who's on drugs. I don't know who, you know, is out there that's going to make a turn or miss a red light and smash into my car, Mm -hmm. you know, and the, and okay, maybe it's not my relative, but we are, I'm telling you, if you're listening to this podcast, you're affected by the addiction problem. In one way, shape or another. In one, in one way, shape or form. And you've got to do something about it. You know, and if if you listen to this podcast and you are anywhere in the vicinity of Narcan on Suncoast, you need to come to one of the graduations and you need to hear what those graduates have to say about the program. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you that you will understand then what has happened because, you know, I was at the graduation last week and there were a couple of different graduates and, you know, to hear a mother say the mother of one of the graduates, mm-hmm. I got my son back. That's just like, uh, that's just, you know, tear time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes you cry, you know, and so you're going to be able to help these people and, and well done you on <laughs> finally getting it to happen. Yeah. So now we're just waiting for her to get out of, um, get out of the hospital and get out of the hospital there. and come on. And I had the family bring the family packed up every worldly possession this girl had, which was, a small suitcase, a laundry hamper, 
and a uh, plastic bag full of cosmetics. Okay. And that now is in the center waiting for her. So we are going to wait ever so patiently for her to be released. And then there'll be another person on a good path um, to fixing their lives. And it's important. Yep. And uh, that's, again, why we do what we do. That's right. And that's why I encourage everybody to get involved. You know, I had a person from a, I think they're from a treatment center in Southeast Florida, get in touch with me on Facebook last week. And they were like, what you're doing is amazing. How can I get involved? Wow. I said, you want to know what you could do for me personally? I said, you can encourage people to seek help. Yep. I said, you can be a voice for every addict out there and you should shout as loudly as possible. You should be a shining example of sobriety and show other people that recovery is possible. Because the more people that do that, the more we can inspire hope in a person that's still struggling or in a family that's worried about burying their kid at any given moment in time or, um, you know, the son or daughter that is sick of finding their mom or dad passed out on the living room floor because they're back on heroin again or back on painkillers. They drink a fifth of vodka and they don't know what to do. That's, That's right. what you can do for other people. The more of us need to get out there and show other people that there is a thing as sobriety. There is a thing as recovery. It actually exists. It's possible and you can have it. And anyone that's out there that's clean, I don't care how you got clean, show other people that's possible. Yep. Be an inspiration to those that are still struggling because it's very, very easy to get really apathetic about the whole thing mm-hmm. and think there's no solution, think there's no hope, and it's all just dark and misery and nightmarish and terrible and there's no way out. We have to show people that there is a way out. There's always a way out. If you're alive, there's a way out. Yep. As long as you haven't died yet, there's a way out. There's a way out. Yep. Because... I mean, once you're dead, I mean, and I think no addict needs to die because this is what happens when an addict dies of an overdose. Let's say they don't, they're no longer a son or a daughter or a mother or a father. Their life becomes reduced to a number, right? You're just a number on a stat sheet for whatever County you live in that the CDC one day is going to look at to count up the, the death toll. Right. It's like, don't let your family member, don't let their life become reduced to a number. That's right. And also, don't be the person who's going to listen to this podcast, have a loved one who passed away, mm-hmm. and wonder if they if they might if their lives might have been saved if they'd gone to Narcanon. That would that would that would tear me. That would kill me <laughs> if I heard that. You know. So so call call you can call Narcanon eight seven seven three three nine three three two four and get help. We're waiting. We're yep. we're ready to help. Um. And I hope something I've said today has inspired somebody. I'm feeling very inspired today. I'm feeling like I want to jump up on my soapbox and yell at the masses. That's because okay. I That's get why like, we do this, Jason. Yeah, I know. I, this is my soapbox, actually. And I have a very captive audience. You also blog. And you I, so you're, that's your soapbox, too. But, you know, I, I just wanted you to tell that story because I think, you know, it's just true for so many people. They're, they're, they're at their wits end and just really don't know what to do. And they can call you up and they can talk to you. And they can come visit. And we'll be here. And there, there is hope and there is help for everybody listening. Do not lose faith. There is definitely hope. And we'll talk to you again next week. You got it. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcanonsuncoast.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 